You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, there's been so many results out since we last spoke yes. last Wednesday. And I looked today at the, the JSC board, but we'll come to today's action in a moment once you've had a look at things like ShopRite, for example, uh, yeah. which came out. And then you had... City Lodge came out with a trading statement, which I quite like. Yes. I think the share price up 5%. I thought that was very yep. encouraging. Another company which you probably follow, but I don't know if you're invested in, because it's probably too small these days. That's Blue Label, a messy company. But you choose a couple, if you would. Oh, well, let's, let's, we can talk about all of them quickly. Okay. Okay, ShopRite, fantastic turnover growth. Yes. I mean, it, I think it was 17% or something, and like for like, it was almost 11%. Now that's big turnover growth in the current even even in the current high inflationary environment. Yes. But they suffered margin all the way down. So gross margin, they suffered a fall in gross margin because as per their explanation, they invested in price, which means that they actively cut some prices to compete better against their competitors. And then when you come to net margin, Net, mar- net margin also came down, and, and that came down quite materially because their cost growth was 18%, which was higher than their turnover growth. So, of course, you're going to have a net margin pressure. Look, a lot of that was all uh, 1.3, 1.4 billion or something was diesel for load shedding. You know, so now they're, they're making 6 billion profit, you know, 1 billion in, on diesel. 1.3 billion on diesel makes a big, big dent on your bottom line. Uh, and earnings were up. I think they were up 3 4%, 5%, something like that. But when you're at a 24 price earnings ratio, you've got to, at bare minimum, show double-digit earnings growth. And that's why the share came under pressure. That's why it fell 6 or 7%. Yeah. That's actually a cost issue okay. for them. Do you think that's strategic? What they say is, okay, let's keep prices really, really low in order to A, gain market share, and B, I would hope to think that they want to help the beleaguered consumer, their target market. Maybe there's a little bit of both there, but probably because they want to gain market share. And then once there they gain market share... There might be some altruism share, there. Yeah, there could be some altruism, but... <laughs> there, there could be, but, but generally speaking, it's probably quite small. Okay. Yes, I reckon so too. The, the, we, are, we are talking about capitalists. Yeah? You want to make as much money as possible within your given parameters. So but, you are only cutting price to either get margin, to either get customers, or your competitors are cutting the price and you're no longer competitive. You know, capitalistic, you don't cut prices unless you have to. You know, for, for good sound reasons. But anyway, um, City Lodge, I mean, I flew down to Cape Town over the weekend, just Friday night and Saturday night, just for a little holiday break thing. And the weather was awful in Cape Town. It was quite cool. It was like 14 degrees and it just rained and you couldn't see the mountain. Um, We stayed at the waterfront and it was packed to the gunnels, Hmm. despite the cold weather, despite the rain. So this tourism thing is big. And just no, tell me about the profile of the know, people that were wandering around the waterfront with you. One of my favourite places, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm not a particular... I'm not a, a consumer. 
I'm not a great consumer, but I just like the place because I've watched yeah. it grow over the 15 years or so I was in Cape Town. And I think it's a world-class no, it's a, it's property. it's absolutely world-class. Yeah. But what yeah, were the people? Were they Germans? Were they British? Were they South Africans? Was it, or was it a mixture? They're foreigners. Foreigners. Mm. We had the proverbial German dentist and a whole bunch of Canadians in the hotel with us. But the whole waterfront was packed, and the, and the weather was terrible. That's why it was packed. So maybe no one, no one could go up, no one could go up the mountain or go to the wine farms because it was raining. Or go to the beach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why yeah. it was packed. Well, it probably is still a little bit cold for the beach, but but yes, um, and City Lodge is benefiting from this. I mean, they're benefiting, literally firing on all cylinders. They're getting higher occupancy rates, and they're getting higher rates per room. So they've swung from a loss into a profit. And, and this tourism thing is huge. Eh? I mean, I, I heard, uh, oh, whatever, a week ago, that tourism to Cape Town year on year is up 60-odd percent. Eh? Hmm. And, that of course, big. you can come to South Africa with your dollar, pound, euro, and have a fantastic holiday for nookies, eh? for nothing. But also, Wayne... Does that also say something about the fact that people are traveling again and they're not Zooming and they're not having video conferences? Are they actually getting on a plane and going to see their clients or their customers, whatever it is? Yes. Because that's not the City Lodge much. market, I think. Yeah, but City Lodge, I mean, they're obviously benefiting from somewhere. There must be tourists staying there as well. Um, business travel, I mean, yeah, it's a sample of one, which is me. I am doing business traveling. I am going to see clients. I am traveling around and doing presentations. But it's probably 60 to 70% of what I was doing pre-COVID. So I, it has recovered. But, I mean, as I said, as a sample of one, I don't think there is as much as what there was pre-COVID. Certainly internal meetings, you know, where you used to get your whole team together in Pretoria, from around the country to have a sales meeting. You know, no, no clients, just internal meetings. Those are still significantly below COVID level because now it's just Zoom. Okay. You know, you used to have the quarterly get-together and all of that stuff. I, I, that, is, that is still definitively below COVID levels. But, I mean, just once again, you know, a sample of one, flying down to Cape Town and back, and we f I flew down 2 o'clock Friday afternoon, and we flew back one o'clock Sunday morning. So these aren't exactly peak times. Plane was chockers, and it wasn't a spare seat on the plane either way. How much does it cost now? To be honest, I don't know. I didn't pay for this one. Oh, it was your, your significant world's greatest rugby fan, was it? She actually paid for it. It was a nice treat. Because, because she was down on business already. She flew down on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And then I joined her on Friday, and then she had to coordinate all the flights coming back, and that's so, it. So, so she, I was most fortunate she actually paid for it. Very good. But I don't think it's cheap, eh? I, I, I would think a return flight to Cape Town and back is, I don't think you're getting much change from 4,000, three and a half, 4,000. It's quite a lot. You know, you used to be able to get, used to get the specials for, uh, for well, the 1,000 specials were truly specials, but you used to be able to get them for below 2,000. But with, with the demand, with SAA and ComAir out the system, effectively, well, ComAir is out the system. SAA's got a couple of aeroplanes, but not many. So now it's Fly Air, and there's, well, that's the big one now. And then there's another one called Link, I think, but they seem quite small. And then Sam Air is still around, but I also think they're small. 
and then SA Airlink is still around. But there is reduced capacity and the aeroplanes are full, so they can push the prices and, of course, the extra f- cost of, of fuel. They've also got to recoup. But the airliners are making money now. now so it just seems pretty COVID. Uh, uh, Com Air couldn't last another year or two because they would have been in the pound seats now because they, they're actually printing money. So they are full up. So this tourism thing, this tourism is is truly big. I mean, it will actually make, I think, quite a big positive impact on our GDP for this year. I mean, we've had GDP out yesterday or whenever it was, and it was higher than expected. I mean, we were expecting 0.1%. You know, and it came in at 0.6, growth. didn't it? Yeah. 0.6, yeah. And I think consensus was 0.2 or 0.3. So we were slightly behind consensus. But I mean, although it's minuscule numbers, that is quite a significant beat. Now, I think a lot of that is tourism, but also if you read Bidvest's results, which is another company that came out with results, yes, they're making a fortune installing solar panels. Hmm. I mean, people don't realize this. Two things. Number one, flying in and out of Johannesburg. I didn't really see in Cape Town because it was a bit misty. But flying in and out of, 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 of Johannesburg, you just see solar panels on roofs. Industrial, residential, there's you just see solar panels. This, is, of course, begs the many, question, many, many. your industrial facility, your warehouse where you house your motor cars in Kaya Sands, surely yeah. that's an absolute natural, because you don't need it to be aesthetically pleasing because it's not a home, no, it's no. an industrial facility. So surely but you should be I, covered in solar panels. No, I haven't done it yet for two reasons. Number one, we actually very, very low electricity users here. We've got... We've got a couple of machines, but, you know, most of the time the electricity we use is for lighting, obviously. But I must say my, my workshop here is extremely well lit. So if, there's, if, the, if the sun is out and it's not behind clouds, I don't turn the lights on because the, the lighting is actually quite phenomenal. So I use about 800 rands electricity a month, which isn't much. So yeah. most of the time when we use electricity, it's the drill and the angle grinder, which are relatively low uh, consumption users, and then the big ones, the, the machinery, the lathe, the compressor, the lift, you know, we just don't use them during load shedding. If, if you have an emergency, I can use my one compressor on the generator. So I've got a generator, and I'm using about, well, in the last month, I've probably only used 300 rands worth of diesel or petrol because load shedding was quite minimal. But when load shedding was bad in May, I was using 600 rand a month, 700 rand a month. So it's not really worth it for me because I'm not consuming that much electricity to put in solar. I just use the generator when we have to. I just fire up the generator and it, and, and it works. But, uh, I mean, what people don't realize is that the solar panels in South Africa, business and residential, has added a Madupi power station to the system. I mean, there's over 4,000 megawatts of electricity installed in solar panels since the start of the year. I mean, that's a Madupi power station that is now, as long as the sun is shining, is no longer pulling power off the grid. And everyone who does solar gets batteries. You don't do solar without batteries. So effectively, there's you know anywhere between 2,000 and 4,000 megawatts of power that's not coming off the grid now because people are generating this uh, separately 
And I mean, I, I go, I'm, I'm sure I've told you the story. I go to a industrial supply company here uh, that supplies electrical goods. And they've got a big, like, open reception serving area where the customers stand and you get served, you know, the people behind the counter serve you and you stand in this open area. And this open area must be 40 square meters, 50 square meters, you know, almost two double garages, not probably more than that, 60 square meters. Uh, and you could barely get into the place because the solar panels were stacked in the, in, in the customer area to the roof because they had nowhere else to put them. Gosh. They had brought in so many solar panels. So their warehouse, I don't know how many they had in their warehouse, but it was clearly full and they got a big warehouse. So they were actually stayed, stacking them in the customer service area to the roof. So, I mean, this uh, the solar panel installation is huge. And I see many, many people now come up with packages, you know, that's got the finance and the installation. And it's a, a sort of a, you know, a, a turnkey operation. And you go to this one person, you say, I want this. They organize the finance, the people to come and install it. You just pay one bill. And I saw one the other day, I think it was on my Twitter, well, X, whatever it's called, my thing feed, yeah. saying, if you spend a thousand rand a month on electricity, this is the package for you. If you spend 2,000, this is the package. See, so very like nicely bundled together. Yes. Very no didn't talk about kilowatt hours and battery life. It just says, if you spend a thousand rand a month, this is the system for you, and this is the monthly cost. You see, that, that, that's clever. Everything. And people they, have obviously they, they embraced the whole the idea, they, yeah, which is great. Yeah. Mm. All right. They maintain the batteries. They, they check the system. They monitor everything. You can be clueless. You don't have to worry about, is your battery charged? Is it not charged? They do that the whole lot. So, yeah, that's quite nice. So, um, I think that's boosting our economy uh, uh, quite, quite materially, actually. I hope so. And it's, it's the private sector. I mean, it obviously helps the public sector as well and relieves the strain on Eskom. And yeah, I guess. And I suppose if, if you're generating excess, you can plug it back into the into the grid, can't you? Isn't that the way it works? Man, I'm not sure about that. I think it's possible in the Western Cape because they've changed. At the moment, I think there's legislatory problems with doing selling it back into the grid. I think there's some legislation. And there's probably logistic problems as well, because the system's not designed for the electricity to flow the other way. You know, how do you? So at the moment, the answer is no. There's not much being fed into the back into the grid from the so-called, you know, the the single unit with solars on the rooftop of operation. Right, well, but of course, you just you just store it in your battery, and you know, then you use it when it's cloudy or so that you don't go and pull Eskom. So what Eskom's going to do, which they've already spoken about, they're saying if you put in solar and you are effectively 99% off the grid and you don't buy electricity from me, I'm going to pay take the power line away from you or you must pay me a monthly flat fee, 500 rand, 1,000 rand, whatever, a flat fee, to give you the backup in case your solar system falls over because it's raining too much or whatever reason, then if you pull power from me as Eskom, for me to put that line through to your house, you've got to pay me a monthly flat 
fee, a con, an, an insurance fee, if you like, to put it that. Now, that didn't fly, but it's coming back, though. Well, Wayne, I hope you do become a sun lover and get it done, at least maybe in your home, the home in which you yeah. live. Now, let's move on from that now, if we can, to Blue Label, because I've spoken to a couple of people yes. about this, and it's very, very messy, Wayne, the whole Celsi thing. Ooh, Someone terrible. said it's got a $4 billion debt and its market capitalization is $1.5 billion. There might have to be a rights issue after an announcement that was made this morning, and I find it very confusing. But it doesn't look good. I think it was a 10% fall on Friday, 7% yesterday. I don't know what it's done today, but anyway, it's an ugly, ugly picture. Very much so. I mean, I went to a presentation by the two brothers when they bought into Celsi, and they were obviously hugely optimistic about, and this must have been, oh, six years ago. Yeah. Maybe longer. more. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to a, a presentation, and they spoke about why are we doing this? And they gave very credible reasons. They said lots of guys are going to become virtual operators and they need a network to go into. Uh, they're going to sell other products through the, you know, the normal story. But it's turned out to be an unmitigated disaster and a cash gobbling machine. And telecoms only slightly better. You cannot compete in this game unless you are one of the big gorillas. Your capital expenditure is just horrendous. To stay up to date, to give decent coverage, to uh, give new technology and 4G and 5G and 6G, and you you just cannot compete. So, if you want to compete and your network is too small, which Celsius is, and so is Telcoms, if you want to offer proper coverage to your clients, you've got to strike a deal with one of the with MTN or Vodacom. And when you strike a deal with them, they swallow your margin. They make the margin. You don't make the margin. You are forced to go into a deal with them. So essentially, the, the deal is dictated to you by the one of the two big players because you have to have them. So you make no margin, and that crimps your cash flows. It's, it's, it's essentially not a viable business. So what do they do with it? No, they're not going to find a buyer for it, are they? Unless it's got infrastructure that the big chaps need. But I don't think they have. I think they still piggyback off the big ones. They might buy the assets, but they're not buying the company. No. There's too much debt there. The debt's worth more than what the company's worth. Telcom, I was very disappointed. When was it? Eight years ago when Telcom tried to buy C or they tried to get a deal between C and Telcom, and that didn't work, because that would have at least alleviated the pain for both parties. It would have given them you know, quite a nice edge, I would think, compared to where they are today. And then Telcom uh, chasing away all the people who want to buy them. This is wrong. That You cannot compete in this game unless you have got incredibly deep pockets and they haven't they clearly so they're haven't better no. than South C. they're better than South C, but they still haven't got deep pockets and just the last thing on South C. it is impossible to understand their financial reporting that's what the I heard as well debt yeah. structures they've got and it is impossible so so you know when something's hard to understand and the share price isn't performing, you just steer clear. You don't even try. Okay, we'll leave it at that. You and steer you clear of Blue Label. 
which yeah. owns Celsi. Okay, good. When there's a couple of other things I want to note down here. I'm looking at the, the leaderboard on the JSE today on my delayed screen. Harmony, DRD Gold, Northern Platinum, Impala Platinum. And then I yeah. switch to my commodity screen and the gold price and the platinum price and the palladium price are doing absolutely nothing. So somebody must have said, you know, the international equivalent or another local equivalent of Wayne McCurry has said, right, these things present buying opportunities. And they've just gone in there and yeah. started buying because I can't see any fundamental yeah. reason for it. Look, the rands are a little bit weaker, which supports them. But they've been falling like a stone for the last couple of days. So some sort of bounce doesn't mean they're turning, but some sort of bounce is not unusual after the extent that they have fallen. But, I mean, we'll talk about it many, many times over the next months and years. Platinum shares, I don't know where the bottom is. I thought the bottom on Anglo Platts was 850, you know, and now 620, oh you know, so I don't know where the bottom might be 400. I, I, I literally don't know where the bottom is. No one knows. But the upside, if the cycle works as it always has worked, the upside is huge. I mean, this share can double and double again, if not triple. Well, maybe you can um, take some solace, Wayne, to, on to my next subject now, and that's the performance of, of the oil price. Now, okay, I know it's manipulated in Saudi Arabia and Russia, have instituted some production cuts that have just been initiated by the Saudis and the Russians have suddenly worked. And I think that's also goes hand in hand with the International Energy Agency demand figures, which are, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, they said this is record demand for oil now. So oil, let's have a look at this. It's above 90, just about, just about, but it was in June, it was June below 72 dollars a barrel it's now just above 90 dollars a barrel now i don't know what that is what is that a 35 percent increase yeah, that's big. which is huge well, i think i think we, yeah i think we are at the bottom of the commodity cycle yeah now whether oil's a leader and whether this is sustainable or whether this is just a little blip on the on the back of production cuts but we should be in the bottoming of the commodity cycle now and the two to three year outlook is extremely positive. Which, of course, scuppers now, your inflation I'm very argument. Bullish, as we've spoken. Mm. You, you, now, you. I'm very bullish, as we've spoken about many, many times, about the, the potential for commodity shares and for the RAND over the next two to three years. Because the cycle bottoms out when interest rates peak, and then when interest rates fall, the cycle picks up again. So it's behaving absolutely normally now. But if it continues to behave normally, there should be quite a bit of upside on a two to three year view. So Anglo-American, whether you paid 850 or 650 or 400, you know, your upside potential is 2000 plus, I would think. Good. Well, let's hope that happens. The only problem is the caveat to this and the counterbalance to your bullishness and your excitement about loading up with commodity shares, starting with the PGMs, is that this is inflationary. And if inflation starts to level out and then go up, because it's been coming down, of course, and starts to go up again, then that has implications for interest rates. I know this is only headline inflation and not core inflation, which a lot of people look at rather than that top line figure. But yeah, 35% increase in the oil. Cycle. Mm. You know, that's, that's the cycle. You know, inflation goes up, interest rates go up, prices fall, inflation falls, interest rates fall, and then... Prices go up again and interest rates go up again. It, it's an absolutely normal cycle. All right, good. Well, you know, fundamentally, fundamentally, inflation, not in South Africa, 
inflation in South Africa is driven by external factors. But inflation globally is essentially driven by demand. It's not driven per se by or directly by commodity prices. Oil, you can say, is an exception. But it's actually consumer demand buying consumer goods and capital goods. That's inflation. And paying salaries and wages. That's inflation. Well, that is inflation. We should so watch in the this. US, as long as wages remain under control, the oil price can go up and the platinum price can go up. Yeah, it hasn't got a big effect. Um, inflation's also rental. I mean, if your long bond rate has gone from 1% to 4%, this what's called owner's equivalent rental, which is essentially based on your mortgage bond, that's gone through the roof. Now, when interest rates start to fall, I mean, that's 15, 20% of CPI. That becomes negative. While other commodity prices might be going up, yours, this owner's equivalent rental is actually falling. That's a very big component of CPI. So it would be quite normal now for uh, commodity prices to go up without actually much of an inflation uh, effect at all. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope we get the best of both worlds as a commodity producer in South Africa. Now, Wayne, you've been to Cape Town. You had a lovely couple couple of nights. You stayed somewhere. I won't ask where. But where did you eat? Because I've really got a food story this week. Where did you eat? Well, we had lunch at our hotel. Yes. And it's, I won't mention the name, but it's, it's in the waterfront and it's fantastic. And their lunch is from the top drawer. In fact, their breakfast is, is probably the best overall breakfast that I've had. They've got other cart menu, but then they've got these lovely things called the, what they call it, the harvest table. Mm-hmm. Where you can get 20 different cheeses and cold meats and breads and croissants and pastries and it's fantastic okay so that's the breakfast and the lunch was it the table bay because that's where i always stay no it wasn't the table bay. all right and then i'll leave it at that yeah then at lunch i went to a very small uh fish uh seafood place very very small not directly on the actual water but in the waterfront and i had a crumbed soft shell crab Mm. Crumbed, which was crumb. Well, what's it? What's it? Panko crumbs. Yeah, I've never had crumbed. Like, 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 like tempura, like tempura. Oh, I straw. see. Yes, okay. That sort of crumbed. Yes, the soft shell crab with delicious. I mean, they had their, their own sort of like chili sauce paste with it, which was fantastic. Hmm. And then on Saturday night we went to Wimpy. No, you didn't. Yes. Because we went to see Trevor Noah's show at the Grand West Casino. Yeah. And Wimpy was the only place that had, well, look, I like Wimpy. Oh, me too. But it was the only place that was that had tables that you could sit at. Everything else was, was queuing to get in. I think it was the normal crowd for gambling. I mean, I detest gambling. Uh, I find it very depressing looking at these people wandering around aimlessly in casinos or sitting mindlessly in front of a machine, pushing buttons. But anyway, that's another story. Sounds like a stockbroker um, to me, but anyway, go on. Yeah, but obviously there were, uh, what, 8,000 people coming to see Trevor Noah as well. So all the eateries were, 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 were full. So we found a table at the Wimpy, and I had a nice Wimpy milkshake, double-thick vanilla milkshake. The world's biggest had a toasted sandwich. Toasted cheese and tomato, and I had a double crispy stack hamburger 
which is two patties, and then they do their onion rings really nicely, nice and crispy, as the name says, with some chippies on the side, and their lovely uh, tomato sauce and, and um, uh, 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 mustard. Fantastic. Uh, even though it wasn't spectacular, yeah. it was still very, very nice. Eh? Yeah, Whippy's good on his food, I reckon. And tell me, how was Trevor Noah? Was he funny? He was funny, but with the one slight qualification, I mean, it was funny. There were some extremely funny moments. But his style of presenting and his types of jokes, because all of these jokes are essentially around how black people perceive white people and how white people perceive black people. Okay, that can get boring. With all the accents, with, and that's the whole point. He's, he's done, I mean, I've seen him often. I've seen him, this is at least the third time I've seen him live, and I've watched all because the world's greatest rugby fan loves stand-up comedy. So we've watched all of Trevor Noah's shows that were that are available on catch-up or whatever, top box office or whatever. So I've seen many, many Trevor Noah shows over the years, many. And unfortunately, essentially, he's telling the same story, just with different characters, and, and but the theme is, is identical. So... Honestly, this might, that might have been the last time that I'm going to see Trevor Noah. I think so, yeah. And I'm just getting an impression of you and your relationship with the world's greatest rugby fan. She brings you down to Cape Town. She goes to see what she wants to watch, a stand-up comedian. And she probably drags you off to rugby matches as well, which is good. No, no, she doesn't, she doesn't drag me to the rugby. I go very voluntary to the rugby. Okay. <laughs> but the next time Trevor Noah has a show and she wants to go, she might have to drag me there. Yeah. But look, I must admit, there were some very, very funny parts. Mm. But, you know, essentially it's it's corrupt politicians and Jacob Zuma and Cyril Ramaphosa has got the sideline business and putting the money in the couch and, you know, selling Buffalo. You know, he said, why doesn't doesn't our state president up his game? He's selling Buffalo. You know, other, other, other people might be selling nuclear arms or you know, big cannon or something. He's selling a buffalo. He's the buffalo billionaire. Yeah, we've heard all of this before. Yeah, okay. You know, so yes, that's, yeah. All right, Wayne. Well, thank you very much. We'll speak again next week. That's Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.